Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to come here and worship. We thank you for your precious word and for your anointing which rests upon me and your word. We thank you, Lord, for using me to express your truth in a way that people can receive into good ground and that the seed of your word will take root and bear fruit in their lives. That they will be helped, healed everywhere they hurt, empowered by your word, your love, and your spirit. And they will know the measure of your love and they will be prospered in every way that they might use that same help to help others. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I've been going through the gifts of the Spirit, then I went to the fruit of the Spirit, and I've been spending weeks on those, and a lot of them are one week for each thing. And I'm determined that I'm going to get the last four. Yesterday, uh, Last week I tried to do, let's see, I did love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and I was trying to get goodness in last week, and then now that leaves goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so let's, let's get right into it. And I told you, hold on tight, and I'm going to try to rush through these because these are some of the ones that hit us right between the eyes a little more than others. And, uh, you know, it's like I said, if, it's, uh, if it rubs you the wrong way, just turn around and keep on rubbing like a cat, you know. It, uh, just just, just agree, with, <laughs> agree with God and move on, and if it's something that he needs to help you with, just let him, and, and we'll all go... Go back and look in the righteous mirror of the Word and, and uh, say, Lord, help me where I need help and <clears throat> encourage me where I've done well. In Jesus' name, all right? So, we got to goodness. I'd love to touch on all the others, but you'll just have to go back and listen to the messages if you have time. But I got to goodness, and these are all the gifts and the fruit. What thing... What words come after those I asked you last week? Of the Spirit. Remember, these are of the Holy Spirit. These are not things that are contrived or worked up in your own effort, in your own strength. So don't get discouraged because what we're talking about is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. That which has already been put in us, okay? So that's that's the deal. We're not talking about legalistic um, works to earn God's favor or earn relationship with God. Not at all. We're, we are talking about things that are the fruit, not the root of the relationship. Things that come as a byproduct of the relationship that you've entered into with, 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 with the Lord. And they will come effortlessly if you put in a lot of hard work. <laughs> going to see what I'm talking about. So let's talk about goodness. Because goodness is one of the fruit of the Spirit of God. And those who have the Spirit of God living in them belong to Jesus. How many of you love Jesus? Have you asked Him, just Lord, come save me. Do something with this mess I've made. And that's a great prayer right there. That You're saved. Okay? I believe you are the Son of God. You were raised from the dead. You died for my sins. And you live today. And I invite you in. And I repent of my sins. That, that's it. That's it. Okay. Now, he begins to work in us that which we have accepted by faith, the grace which he provided through the atonement. So goodness, in the true scriptural sense, is simply moral excellence. And in its truest form, it's really only God himself which is good. And Jesus said this over in Mark chapter 10. Uh, verses 17 and 18. And he was setting out on his journey. And as he was setting out, Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? <laughs> Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he went on and he saw the the fellow's need. What the guy was really doing was just sucking up to, to Jesus. Jesus wasn't saying that he wasn't good. But he was asking the man why he was calling him good. In other words, if he didn't recognize the Lord's deity, he really had no right to call him good. 
And then he went on to say, I've done all these things. I've kept all the commandments since I was a kid. And Jesus, seeing what was really his problem, he said, really? Go give everything you have to the poor and come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. And he walked away with his head down. He couldn't even give a dime. He's not asking everybody to do that. He saw this man's problem and he was there full of pride just sucking up to him. But anyway, the point that Jesus was making is that really there's no goodness except in God. We might do some things that the world calls good, but unless it's motivated by love and the agape, pure kind of love of God, then it's not, it accounts for nothing anyway. So we really need God to be good. And what it amounts to is just becoming a living vessel of the Holy Spirit to work through. There's a, uh, uh, a, uh, what do you call it, a quote that I really love about this. It says, to be a witness does not mean to be engaging in propaganda. And you can apply this to today's times. To be engaging in propaganda, nor even in stirring people up. But in being a living mystery. It means to live one's life in such a way that would not make sense if God did not exist. Have you ever had anybody, have you had that encounter yet in your Christian life? Where people just, they're looking at you like, what is it? And I want it. And I'm not talking about a physical thing. I'm talking about they see God in you. You see, the world can't understand what they're seeing when we allow Jesus to live through us, which is all He wants to do. To become a living vessel. They can't understand it, but they can't deny it either, you see. So, what it does, when we let Jesus live through us, it confronts them with Him. Amen. I've told you the story about Mahatma Gandhi, the, the man that the world thinks is so wonderful, and I'm nothing against him. He tried to do good things, and he affected millions, maybe billions. But you know, he wanted to be a Christian. He read the Bible in prison, and he went to a church in Africa when he was released, and they wouldn't let him in. It was a racial thing. He said, from that day on, I would have been a Christian, but then I met one. There's another story that I know about, about a man who was on a, a small uh, vessel uh, in the Navy. And he said this about, he was an atheist when he went on, he said this about a man he was on board with and served with. I would never have opened a Bible, but I could not help reading the life of this man. It convinced me there must be a God. And he became a really prominent Christian in England. Wrote books and he became a cardinal, I think, of some sort. Not into all that, but the point is, this man allowed the Lord to live through him. He didn't do much preaching. He just lived his life as a Christian. He wasn't uh, moved or dissuaded by the fear of man or what they would think of him. He lived out his life and it was visible and it caused this other man to want what he had. He read a Bible of flesh and blood, in other words. And it would be great if we could all say this of the pages of our lives. Amen? And how do we do it? Just simply by yielding to God and allowing Him to live through us. That's the whole point. There was an elderly Christian woman one time who summed it up like this. She lived her life sort of like this. The second man I was talking about just lived her Christian life unto God. She loved the Lord and she lived it out and didn't preach much, didn't do much. She just, her life showed it. And one time they asked her, how have you done this through everything you've been through and all the trials and tribulations? You just always show Christ in your life. And she said, that's easy. Every time the devil knocks at the door, I just let Jesus answer Amen. <laughs> the next fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So quickly I'm moving along. In the Bible, I need to make sort of uh, some differentiations, and there could be lots of debate about things, but I think to make it easy, 
I'll just say that there's really the words in the, the Greek and the New Covenant, the, the, there's, the faith is, is described in, in, in different situations and circumstances, meaning different things. One is faith to live by. It's just the, the faith that we all receive to believe on Jesus Christ and get our salvation. It enables us to live the Christian life. It's based upon a permanent and personal relationship with God and it supplies the motivation and the power to live the Christian life. The next is the gift of faith, which we talked about some weeks ago. It's a gift of the Spirit of God, and it's uh, it's God's own faith given, imparted through a believer in uh, a certain situation on a supernatural basis to meet a specific need. Amen. Amen. Miracle working power, etc., etc. Okay. And then there's the fruit of faith, which we're talking about today, which is uh, an aspect of uh, character, and it's something which much which 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 must be carefully cultivated. Carefully cultivated. It's maybe one of the hardest, and it takes the most practice at cultivating. We talk about this, the fruit of the spirit, and and it's all in us. But it has to be worked out. It's like a muscle I described. If you're thinking of natural things, we all have the same set of muscles, basically. But uh, you see all different uh, sizes and shapes of those muscles and people. And it all depends on their use. Amen? Think of these spiritual fruit in the same way. The gifts, on the other hand, they just come and they go and they're nothing to do with us. It's just God using us as a willing vessel, as the conduit, to be a blessing in a certain situation. The fruit, on the other hand, has everything to do with our character, or God's character in us being allowed to be expressed through us. Sometimes you see faith, like in the in Galatians 5, where it lists the fruit of the Spirit. It says faith. And in other... Uh, Translations this as faithfulness. Well, in the Greek, they mean the same thing. They they mean both. In other words, faith includes faithfulness, and faithfulness is impossible without faith. (coughs) Fair enough? The key is to depend. For either one, it's dependency. In a good way, dependency upon God. Faith is learning to depend on God in every situation and circumstance. Faith is our positive response to God's grace and mercy. That's a powerful... If you can remember that phrase, it took the entire lifetime of some ministers to get to that that phrase right there and to impart that to others. Our positive response. Faith in the life of a Christian is really just our positive response to the grace of God which has been provided through the atonement. Faithfulness, on the other hand, the other side of the coin, is being dependable. Now this is where some of us get off track a little bit. Being dependable not only to God, but to men. And it's based really on a quiet steady, continuous trust in God and dependency upon God. Because these are the things that He wants for us. Romans 8.28 describes it pretty well. It says, We know that God works all things for the good for those of us who love God and are called according to His purpose. So if we know that we're committed to God and while walking in His purpose for our life, the path that He has set out for us, then there's never any reason really not to trust in and depend upon God to work everything out for our good. Amen? That's what it says. So we don't need to panic. We don't need to get upset or worry about it. And we don't need to give up. We just need to stay the course and be dedicated to God And all of these things will be working out for the good. Because we love Him and we're called according to His purpose. If you're wondering, if you're called according to His purpose, it doesn't mean called to be up here preaching. If you're a Christian, you're called. Amen. Amen. You know, you didn't even figure this all out on your own. 
you know he was working on you? You, you might remember. Some of us have vivid recollections of the, all the, when things came to a head in our lives and it was just like, it was going to be, it was going to be heaven or hell. <laughs> and the Lord was really, and so was the enemy. I remember very vividly. And sometimes it just makes me shudder. And I'm so glad that he talked me into coming on the path instead of the, the broad highway. Amen. Second <clears throat> Timothy 1 verse 12 describes that the key to trust is entrusting everything to God. I can find that quickly. I'll read it. Yeah, here it is. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. Paul tells Timothy, If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's the wrong passage. That was, that was chapter 2, sorry. It's still true, but... Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter one, verse twelve says, "Which is why I suffer as I do." Paul was in, Paul was in prison. He was cold. He was had written to people to bring him the warm cloak and the parchments that uh, he had left in another city. And he was. Uh, this was the last letter that he wrote to Timothy. Most of this new covenant that he wrote, uh, which is almost half, over a third, uh, was written from prison. And this was very close to the time that he knew he was going to be beheaded under a terrible dictator named Nero. And uh, anyway, and so dig what he says. He says, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And remember, I've ministered on this scripture before. If we know what we believe, it'll take us some, some distance. But if we know who we believe, it'll take us all the way. If you believe that song I sang earlier, that, that he was always there, always is and always was. Jesus. There was Jesus. He's with you. He loves you. He said, I'll never leave you forsaken. Take you. And he never told a lie. He ain't like George Washington. Who may or may not have cut down a cherry tree. I, I mean, I don't know. But the point is, Jesus, if he ever lied, all of us would just come unraveled. And this whole world would too. And so would we. On a molecular level. <laughs> Only get too deep. Because I don't know any more than that. But it's true. I'm glad I'm not so smart that I've talked myself out of God. I know a lot of smart folks like that. They started off as Christians. And then they went to college and got all sorts of degrees. And talked them right out of God. Nothing against higher education. I just think that... uh, Never mind. (laughs) But he said here, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to him. You see, Paul had entrusted his eternal salvation, his eternal destiny, his life, everything to God. And so he wasn't worried about it. He wrote in one place, he goes, I'm in prison. He goes, and I know they're probably going to cut my head off. He said, but I'm kind of torn on which way I want to go. If I want to stick around longer so I can be a blessing and teach y'all some more, or if I want to go home and be with the Lord. Either way, win-win. That's an awesome place to be. And you know what? He didn't have anything you don't have uh, spiritual-wise. Maybe more revelation. (laughs) But that's why we're studying His words. Amen. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And if if you're at the end of your life, you don't know anything else, just remember that I hope that that can be your testimony and that you will tell all those surrounded around you. And I I hope you're very old and you're still... Healthy and just like Moses, 120 years old, his natural strength was not abated nor his eyesight dimmed. And I hope that's you telling your children and your their children and their children's children, God is faithful. Whenever you get into trouble, call on Jesus. I hope that's your testimony.
But the key is letting Him work out His faithfulness in you. It's not you. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not come by you trying to be better and getting discouraged and beating yourself up and then eventually leaving the church because, well, you know, I, I, I know I've been going a while and I know they expected me to be this big old apple tree just full of all this good fruit. Man, I'm still struggling. No. He still loves you. He still loves you. I've told the story of my brother who was, boy, lived a rough life like I did. And uh, he got his salvation at, toward the end. And he never did, was discipled enough to really benefit from all the wonderful things that the Lord has given us for this life. But I know he's enjoying it in the next. Amen. But what God really wanted was for him to grow in this and be discipled so that he would be helped now in every way and then could share that help with others who need it so desperately. Amen. It takes practice. Cultivation. It's like a farmer is what we're talking about. And it starts with the small things. One more scripture on that and then I'm going to move on. In Luke... Chapter 16, I always like to see what Jesus said about something so that you believe me. Um, Luke chapter 16, verse 10. No, that's not it. Anyway, I wrote down the wrong scripture, so I'll just tell you what it says. Somewhere in Luke, you'll find... That Jesus said, those who have been found uh, trustworthy in the small things will be entrusted with large things, greater things, you see. And he was talking about money at the time. And people get frustrated sometimes when preachers talk about money. But the point is, Jesus used natural things to describe spiritual things to people. He used things people could understand to explain things they didn't understand or know about. You understand what I'm saying? And he knows that we all need money because it's a tool that we all need very much. But he was showing them that everything in the kingdom of God is based on the law of sowing and reaping. There's seed, time, and harvest. And God is a God of multiplication. So if we're sowing in His direction, He's going to make sure it comes back to us. Whether it's our natural gifts and talents and abilities, our, our resources, our time, whatever it is, our kindness, our love, our peace. If we're sowing those good seeds instead of the evil seeds that the enemy wants us to sow for him, because he has no creative power, you are the creative beings, and if the devil can trick you into it, he'll get you to do some creating for him too, you see. That's why when we talk the way we do sometimes, the negativity of the doubt and unbelief and the cursing, I don't mean just saying a cuss word. I'm saying saying something ugly about somebody. You know, that's a curse. You know, we're, we're creating for the devil. You can say, I didn't mean nothing by it, you know, but really we need to, we need to work on that. Just, just saying. Because it will bring a harvest. And just because you didn't mean it, it still brings a harvest. Okay, I'll move on. I told you, these are not easy. It get, it's going to get worse here in a second. <laughs> Gentleness is the next to the last one. And gentleness, and also it's described as meekness in the King James, and both are fine. But I just want you to understand, first of all, that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the demonstration of strength or power under control. You can picture a giant jumbo jet airliner just lightly touching down on the tarmac as it lands. That's power under control. That's what meekness or gentleness is. People who are loud, abusive, and violent, bullies, enforcing their will upon others, that's not strength. That's weakness. To my shame and degradation from my younger life. But, gentleness or meekness they go together with authority. You see, that's why some people don't need authority. You see an example of that 
recently for about 8 minutes and 47 seconds or something like that up there in uh, Minnesota. Some people do not need authority. Okay? We all agree on that, so, you know, that's fine. If you have to shout or force your will, you don't really have authority. The key to authority is being under authority. There used to be a saying, never submit yourself to a man who will submit himself to no one. You see? And I submitted my life to Jesus. That's why my wife, she, the worst thing she can do to me is not talk back and just go tell Jesus on me. <laughs> Think I'm kidding. <laughs> Because he knows, he's, he, yeah, and he's, he's, he's pretty protective of his girls. Yeah, he sure is. <laughs> anyway, another message for another time. <laughs> Numbers 12.3, talking about meekness. I think of Moses, uh, I think of Jesus the most, because he, he had the most power and most authority of anyone ever, and he, and he contained it because of you. Because he was out to accomplish a mission that God had sent him on. And so he, he didn't talk back. But Numbers 12, 3, uh, they're talking about Moses. And it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men on the earth. In other words, Moses was the meekest man in the whole world during his time. And you know who wrote that? Moses. <laughs> I'm the most humble man in the world. <laughs> it doesn't seem right. But if it's true, it's true. It's just like Jesus standing up and say, I'm, you know, I'm the greatest. <laughs> it would be nothing proud or, or wrong about that because it's the truth. <laughs> Moses, the point is, Moses was the meekest, most gentle man in the whole world. Based on scripture. Now, did Moses, was he weak? He definitely was not weak. When he was 40, he said, alright, time to get this party started. And he went, and <laughs> he tried to save the whole nation of Israel, the Hebrews, by himself. He went and started by killing an Egyptian soldier. It wasn't God's timing. And he tried to do it in pride and his own strength and all that. But even at 120, like I always quote, the scripture says Moses was 120 years old. His natural strength was not abated nor his eyesight dim. So physically he was fine. But God didn't use him until he was 80. He went what the King James sort of in picturesque wording says he was on the backside of the desert. He wasn't just in the desert. He was on the backside of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. Now, man, that, that don't sound like a, a cushy job. Especially when he was raised in a palace. And at 40, he just knew this is my time and I'm the one that they've been prophesying about. And so for 40 years, having to run from Pharaoh because he was afraid for his life, he had to live on the backside of the desert and tend to his father-in-law's sheep. And then he was usable. Took, I used to say it took 40 years for God to get Moses out of Moses. The key to authority is being under authority. And how did Moses receive or become meek? By submitting to the dealings of God in his life. God had to bring him through some things to bring him to the things that he had created him for. At 80 years old, he was drained of his strength, not... Not sick, not 
like we're thinking, but drained of the strength that he thought he had at 40 to go and conquer the world like most of us, you know. Drained of that strength and that self-confidence and God was ready to use him. In Hebrews eleven twenty-eight, 28, uh, it talks about this a little bit just to give you a new covenant uh, scripture to testify to that. Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, verse 8, it says, uh, by, by faith, no, it's 1127. That was Abraham I was going to read about. <laughs> by faith, he left Egypt, talking about Moses, look, uh, not being afraid of the anger of the king, which I said a minute ago he was, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured by seeing him who is invisible. In other words, he kept his eyes on God. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. And that's what can help us endure and to be and to do all the things that God has called us to be and to do. The fear of man brings a snare. We need to magnify the Lord because when we do, it makes our mountains into molehills. But the way we're made, we can only have one end of the seesaw up at a time. The cares and tribulations and trials and worries of the world or our God and His promises. You can't magnify both at the same time. One's going to overwhelm you or the other. And when the Lord overwhelms you, it's awesome. I have to just stop in my tracks in my living room floor just throughout my day sometimes and just hit my knees and say, Lord, you're just so good. I, 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 in other words, I'm very aware of the six or eight times that I've noticed today that you've been involved. And you're just so good to me. That's awesome. You know, when you when you get to that place, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it's in the little things. It starts in the little things. That's what Jesus was saying before, is that it starts with the little things, and those who are faithful with the little things will be entrusted with greater things. God is going to test us with stuff. Things that we do know about before He will entrust us with spiritual things that He really wants us to be a part of. You see? But God loves us so much that He's not going to put more on you than you can handle. He's not going to give you something that's going to take you from Him or put so much pressure it'll crush you. So He wants you to be discipled. He wants you to practice these things. He wants you to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit and your character just by allowing His character to work out in you. And so He can make you the strong, healed, empowered, loved, and prosperous Christian that He can use to go and help others. Amen. Amen. Psalm fifty-one seventeen says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, will not despise. This was, this was David writing this Psalm 51, which is really beautifully written at, in a time in David's life when he had repented and come to the end of himself over the terrible things that had happened and transpired over his sin with Bathsheba. Not only had he committed adultery with her, but he had killed her husband because of it to hide their baby and all these other things. And it was awful. And when it was brought to his attention by the prophet, he, he repented. He came down off of his throne and he just repented before God. And he, he had a broken and contrite spirit toward God. He humbled himself and surrendered his life and his will to God. And he said, anyone who will do this, God will not despise you. He will come and love you and comfort you and pick you up. And after that, he called He called David a man after his own heart. And he did some terrible sins in his life. That's encouraging to some of us. Amen? A surrendered will is, is good. 
outwardly. That is a good thing. So you can you can surrender your will to God and still do some things reluctantly. And that's better than not doing it at all. But a broken spirit, a broken spirit doesn't fight back, you see. It doesn't answer back. It doesn't defend itself to God. It doesn't argue with God. And that's really the place where we want to be. Yeah. It's, not, it's kind of like uh, I posted a deal from C.S. Lewis the other day about humility. And it said humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference. We need to think very highly of ourselves in one regard because we're Christ in us. The hope of glory. The life we now live is Christ that lives in us. And the same power that raised Him from the dead lives in us and gives life to this mortal body. We're supernatural beings. We've got everything. We're co-heirs with Christ of everything in the kingdom of God and everything He has. He is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. That's our daddy. He got your picture in his wallet. So don't, you know, being Christian isn't being uh, walking around looking at the ground and slapping yourself on the back with that old thing. Remember the scarlet letter? My gosh, that was so dumb. The last one is self-control. Do I have a minute or two to to go through this one? Because I'm going to just... I'm almost just going to read this stuff that I wrote, these points. And then, and not even look at y'all. Because self-control, that's a tough one. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for a minister to minister about things. But you know what? One of the first things, and I'm so thankful for some of the ministers that, that uh, helped raise me up. They taught me, don't ever lower God's standards to meet your experience in your life. You see? In other words, if, it, if it's not something that I haven't achieved yet, don't just pass that by. <laughs> Preach it anyway. You know what I mean? Self-control is the last fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> it's the last one listed of the nine. And I think there's a reason. It's like, and. Uh, drum roll, please. <laughs> Self-control. Or temperance, it says in the uh, King James. And... I don't want to use temperance today because really temperance, uh, because of everything this nation went through and all that, temperance has become uh, associated only with uh, abstinence from alcohol. And I want to tell you this, that self-control or temperance as it's related in the Bible, it really includes gluttony as much as drunkenness. And... uh, I like to eat. You know, it's been said that Americans used the set of teeth God gave them to begin digging a grave for themselves. And then they buy another set and finish it off. (laughs) That's sad, isn't it? That's me. That's just, that's just rude. But anyway, I didn't say it, but I did hear that somewhere. <laughs> Deuteronomy 21 in the Old Covenant. Now, thank God that we have Jesus. I'm telling you, read the Old Covenant. You want to be thankful for Jesus? Read through the law and the commands and the things that they had to, they would be killed for. And one of them in, uh, in Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, it tells. Uh, I'm trying to save time so y'all can read it. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21. It says, if you parents, if you have a rebellious child, you take them out, you take them to the elders of the city at the city gate and you stone them to death. And you say that this, uh, this, this child of ours, he's stubborn and rebellious. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And... They would kill him. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. We are free of this. But, it shows you how God feels about these things. When you read through the things in the Old Covenant, just because we've been delivered from the penalty and the judgment, doesn't mean that God's changed His mind about the way He feels about some things. You know? So, it should give us sort of a 
uh, sort of a way to go. But those four things, stubbornness, rebelliousness, those two, the first two things are aspects of our character. And they are the causes of the other two things, the gluttony and the drunkenness. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? They're the results of the character flaws mentioned before, the, the stubbornness and rebelliousness. Almost all forms of overindulgence and dependency are really caused by stubbornness and rebelliousness. And God describes this, this rebelliousness as he equates it to the sin of witchcraft in the Bible. Let's say what God says. God's penalty for those things was death. And so it shows how he feels. And people are surprised sometimes because I preach about the grace of God, how God's already provided everything and then we receive it by faith and we walk in this and the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the Spirit wants to live through us and it's, it's not by work. So they say, well, you're telling me i got to do this and do that, don't do this, don't do that. Sound like you're trying to bring me back under the law. No, I'm not. I'm trying to bring you into a relationship and tell me which relationship you've ever had that's been very successful that was one-sided. I can answer that as sort of a rhetorical question. <laughs> I put it like this. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will not do it without us. Is that fair to say? God, I, I like to say it like this. Jesus is right here. And He is the greatest finest man you will ever meet and he is a gentleman and he sticks to his word they they i say they i'm talking about god the father god the son god the holy spirit he gave us a free will and he knew when he did it was going to cause him great pain if he hadn't given us free will to screw things up in the Garden of Eden, speaking of us as Adam, as the seed of mankind, then he would have never had these problems. He would have never had to bankrupt heaven temporarily to send Jesus here to be born in a feeding trough and be treated the way he was to do the thing that we could never do and, and earn back our relationship with God. Amen. But he's a gentleman and he's not going to superimpose his will upon us when he's given us free will. He holds himself accountable to his own word. And as much as it hurts him, he will honor our free will all the way to hell. But it will be our choice. No one's going to get sent to hell by God. They're going to do it themselves. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, and believe it or not, I'm really almost done here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We work out, and He works in, you see. When we cease to work out, then there's no room for him to continually work in. It's a, we're supposed to be the conduit, remember? And if there's a bottleneck within us because of stubbornness and rebellion, what's he going to do? He can only fill it up so far until we pour out. I'm a little teapot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was silly. It's a relationship. That's the whole point. And the last thing, Paul, he uses athletics to describe our salvation or the Christian life. And I think it's, it's sort of helpful to me. He has a different imagery. My wife always says, paint me a picture. You know, you can talk all day, but after a while, all she hears She wants his imagery, you know. She, she would agree if she was sitting here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's the last scripture I'm going to read today. Praise the Lord. Uh, but I actually did get through all these last four in one day. Believe that. I've been doing one a week. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 24 through 27. Paul, who was a really, I would call him a great man, the greatest grace preacher of all time, for sure. <clears throat> and he loved God. And he went about telling, like the church in Galatia, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You started under the Spirit, now you're going to try to complete by going back under the law? He was a grace preacher. He said, you didn't get saved and do mighty works and all these things amongst you by the law, by works of, by observing works of the law, but by the Spirit. But he also said this. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The most sobering thing right there to me is that Paul, after all the wonderful things he had done and suffered for the sake of Christ and his people, and at the end of his days, still thought it a possibility that he might miss the prize if he did not control himself. If he thought that, I'm not going to stop thinking it either. I'm not earning my salvation but God expects us to partner with Him and run the race He has set out for us. Amen? Amen. Our reward, unlike... He was referring to people in the old days of uh, the Olympics. They've been around for a long time and they would get a laurel wreath, you know. And it was perishable. He's saying ours, our reward is imperishable. It's eternal. And so it's a much greater prize... But we have to have self-control to hit the mark. So, self-discipline should affect every aspect of the Christian life. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Not only what we eat and drink and when we sleep, but our exercise, but also what goes into these eye and ear gates. Backwards. Eye and ear gates. And who we associate with. I say that carefully because even Paul said, Hey man, you got a, a friend that's not a Christian? You want to go to dinner with him? Go ahead. It's not like I'm a Christian and you're not. You know, that's, that's, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. You understand that, right? We're supposed to help that sick and dying world with the same help that we receive freely. But... The point is, it's very dangerous as well for an um, immature Christian to go back to what God has called them from, thinking they're going to go. I, I remember I, I, when I got a load of, I'm like, man, I, I can't wait to tell everybody. I, I want all my friends to to get what I got. I want them all to know him. They don't know either. I thought I knew him and I didn't. And they don't know him either. And I can't wait to tell them. Well, guess what? They didn't really want to know. Some of them didn't want to know. Some of them have come along. Others, But I mean, the point is, you say, well, Jesus, he was, he was, he hung out with, he hung out in the bars and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I hear these stories, you know, and you, you hear it. You know what I'm talking about. But listen, Jesus never got dirty. He never sinned. He was that strong. His relationship with God was so strong that he could go anywhere he wanted because that's where God needs us the most. 
But until you're ready, don't, you know, if you, if you're only three months out of the crack house, don't go witness to the crackheads right now. That's all I'm saying. You get it. But I'm going to tell you, right now is a time that the world needs us more than ever. I said that was the last scripture, and it really is the last one I had written down. But there's something that comes the Lord just put in my heart in Acts chapter 3, one of the sermons that Peter preached. If I can find it. I think it's in chapter 3. Yeah. Because people ask me a lot of things, you know. And most... Honestly, though, as a, as a minister, people don't ask you nearly as much as they tell you. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about telling you about their problems. That's fine. I'm talking about they, they're, <clears throat> when people come to preachers, usually they want to tell them everything they know about the Bible. <laughs> they want to retrain me. So that's okay, too. I listen. But people do talk a lot about the times we live in. And it's understandable. It's crazy. Things are weird. Listen, they have been weirder in this in this world history, this time, this church age in which we live. The times in which this Bible, this new covenant was written, these letters, these epistles, it, it was way crazier than it is now. But things are shaping up for something special. <laughs> I'm believing for revival. And uh, I happen to know that revival is coming to the church. And you're going to see... A separation of the real church, the real bride of Jesus Christ, and that which has, you know, been deceiving folks and breaking off and tearing out large portions of this Bible because it didn't suit their desires, you see. And it's going to be sort of like, I think of Moses when he went back to Egypt and he had nothing but a stick. He said, God, I can't go, I'm... You know, what am I going to do? And he said, what's that in your hand? He said, a, a stick? <laughs> he said, throw it down. It became a snake. And Moses ran. <laughs> like most of us would. It was a poisonous snake, obviously. And God told him, pick it up by the tail. Now, most of us don't go around juggling snakes, but we know not to pick one up by the tail. It leads because it's going to bite. But, see, Moses had spent 40 years getting Moses out of Moses. And I know that he kept his eyes on God because the Word just told us so. And he said, if I get another chance, I'm going to do it God's way if it kills me. And he picked that snake up by the tail and it became a staff again. And that's what he used. He turned water into... not water into wine. That was how Jesus undid that curse. But he turned the water into blood. He, he brought all those things on. He just used that old stick. Whatever God put in his hand. But there's going to come a time. And he threw that serpent down. And, and, and Pharaoh had magicians. And they put a couple of snakes out there. They did the same trick, you see. But God's snake gobbled up their snakes, remember? So... There's going to be a time coming when it's going to be. That's why I'm ministering on the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. I want for you all to know that God wants to use you. He loves you. And just like Moses, you don't have to have anything. It's not about your ability, but your availability. Look what he did with a stick. He parted an ocean. And there's going to be a time when these other deceivers are going to be in our faces, you know. And it's going to be sort of one of those deals. Well, you throw down your stick and I'll throw down mine and we'll see. And we'll let God fight our battles and we'll be prepared. And we'll be stronger than horseradish because we will be discipled in His Word. (laughs) But I want you to understand God's purpose has never changed. See, the reason I don't get off into all these temporal issues of the day and all that is because God he didn't tell me to 
<laughs> you know, he hadn't told me to. He said, "Just keep, just keep teaching what I told you to teach." He's not standing white knuckled on the banisters of heaven, going, "Oh, what am I going to do?" He's not worried. Look what Peter said. There's four R's I want you to know. God's God's plan hadn't changed. Peter, starting back verse 17, he's he's telling these these Jews who had just recently crucified Jesus about 50 days before, killed the king of the world, the creator of life, right? And he's telling them, I know what you did, you did in ignorance, you know. But now, here's what here's what you need to do. Starting verse 19, repent. Therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times, we're talking about the times. We're talking about God's plan. That's why I'm talking about times. We don't know the hour or the day, but we do know the times. We are to recognize the times. Jesus talks about it, and now Peter's talking about it here. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. Amen. From the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. When heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. About which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Repent. Just turn around. Just all he wants the world to do is just change their mind regarding him and the things of God. Just when you're going wrong, just turn around and go right. Agree with God. And that's it. Heck, even as Christians who has already received God as our Lord and Savior, we we make mistakes. And what I always tell people, it's just, he don't want to talk about that all day. He does not. He does want you to mention it. <laughs> but then it's like, Lord, I, you know, I talk to him like this. Lord, I dropped the ball on that one. No. Oh, sorry. Let's go. He's all right. Come on. That's that's a prayer of repentance. Hello. You know what? You know what? He already forgave me 2,000 years ago. You better hope he can die for your sins in advance because he only died once and he ain't going to do it again. The reason I go to him with it is so that I know I, I know my conscience is pure now. I, I've discussed it with the Lord. I didn't just act like I didn't do it. I didn't act like it didn't happen or it didn't matter. Or he already paid for it. So I heck with him. I can do what I want now because Jesus paid for it. Well, don't you think I ought to talk to him about it? Yeah, he's entitled. Have a conversation with him. But he wants the world to repent. And then when they do, times of refreshing come. Refreshing. There's always times of refreshing for the Christian. That's why when the world gets so hopeless and so scared and so worried about everything, and they get so freaked out, man. And they should if they don't have God. Because the alternative is grim, I assure you. But when I'm going through my hardest times, I just... If I can magnify the Lord and not the problem, I know times of refreshing are right around the corner. And God is faithful. He's proven it to me because He got a track record in my life now after these 13 years, you see. And now every time He does it, again, it just makes me stronger and stronger and more confident in Him. Repent for refreshing so He can restore all things. Restoration. Everything is all His enemies is going to be put under His feet. The last one is death. Anyway, and then His return. It's that simple. Revival's coming because He wants everybody to repent and come into relationship with the Lord so He can offer them times of refreshing. And then everything is going to be restored unto Him. We're going to be made into the one new man in Christ. We're all going to grow up and mature in Christ the best of our ability and, and, uh, and uh, teaching and uh, discipleship. 
and then he's going to return. And it's not going to be that long. It's not right this moment, though, I can tell you that. So don't, don't expect it every day. There's some things that still haven't happened yet. But look for revival. Because it's coming. You know, there have been times worse than this in this nation. In this nation. And, and I'm not even talking about like the Civil War and stuff like that. That was worse. But, I mean, when, you know. But there were times after that that God was basically gone from our culture and all of our universities and everything and, re- and revival broke out. So look forward to that. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for helping us to come to you in all honesty and saying, Lord, oh boy, I thought I was doing great. And this old preacher started talking about fruit. <laughs> I knew I hadn't been eating enough fruit, but uh, I didn't know I was supposed to be growing it too. The Lord helped me cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in my life that you have placed in my spirit. Thank you for loving me so much and imparting your character to me. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.